Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a special welcome to those of you joining online. It is great to have you with us. There's a movie that I saw a number of years ago called The Mission, in which uh, Robert De Niro plays a slave trader. It's an old uh, period piece. And uh, he has some things that happen in his life, and he realizes he needs to turn away from the life that he had been on and, and to seek some penance. And so he actually goes to the place where he was stealing people to bring them into slavery and says that he needs to, to do this penance, to repent of, of what he had done. And so in his mind, the only way to do that, he, he takes his armor, his sword, his weapons, his, the tools of his own old life, and he wraps them up in a bundle and carries them around with him going to this tribe where he had committed these atrocities. And along the way, he encounters some missionaries and they tell him, no, 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 you've been forgiven. You don't have to do this. And he said, no, this is what I have to do. And he drags this past with him throughout the entire jungle. I think we do that a lot in our lives. We have these burdens, we have these, these stories, these sins, this guilt, this shame from our past, and we feel as though we have to drag it around with us. In today's message, we're going to be talking about how we can be relieved of that burden, and perhaps even with the help of God, find some rest. Before we go into that, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. And Lord, let it be your message. I'm relying on you to speak in this time. I pray that you speak to each and every one of us, myself included. Let your Holy Spirit be at work right now. We submit ourselves to you. We trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. What's your favorite Bible verse? Maybe it's a famous one. John 3.16 Perhaps, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great one. Sums up law, gospel, it's all there. Maybe something you go a little more Old Testament, maybe the Psalms, a nice peaceful thing like, be still and know that I am God. That's a good one, Psalm 46. Uh, maybe it's your confirmation verse. For me, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Maybe it's like your life's mission statement. Uh, for me, that verse is Isaiah 6, 8. God says, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. There are any number of verses that could be your favorite Bible verse, right? Uh, but I'm going to guess that it's probably not Romans seven fifteen. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I haven't seen many people with that tattooed on their arm or anything, right? Um, though it is a very, very powerful verse. It perhaps hits a little too close to home for us, right? Ed, you did a great job reading, uh, reading Romans there. Romans is a tough read because uh, the Apostle Paul is a very unique writer. Part of it is he's always trying to do more than one thing at the same time. In Romans, really, what he's trying to do is, is address the early church 
specifically to address the culture that was really conflicted between centuries of Judaism, uh, the Israelites, this, this legacy where they were God's people, and the thing that marked them as God's people was, yes, their heritage, but also their adherence to God's law to what had been passed down generation after generation. And so they followed these laws in order to kind of set themselves apart. Well, then Jesus of Nazareth comes along, one of their own, but he's breaking these laws. In fact, he's advising, hey, uh, all those laws, it boils down to love God and love people. And there's this, this whole movement behind them. And for Paul, then called Saul, he saw this as an atrocity. He saw this as the absolute worst thing that could happen. He saw Jesus as leading people away from God. And so as Saul, he was the number one persecutor of Christians, the chief among them, he calls himself, right? He was a high achiever. And so he's addressing this culture that's still asking, okay, if we're following Jesus, who we think might be the prophesied Messiah, are we still Jewish? Do we still have to hold on to these laws of what we know now as the Old Testament? To them, it was just Scripture. It was just God's Word, right? Do we still have to follow these laws? Are we still following the same cultures? What about people who aren't ancestrally part of our community? What about them? So he's addressing them, but at the same time, as he talks about this sin within and this draw to, to, to follow the law, right earlier in this chapter, he says we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to the law. He's addressing this draw to continue to follow this, to continue to, to hold to these traditions. But he's also addressing the individual, Paul himself. We know from elsewhere that he talks about a thorn in his side. Some have speculated that might be an actual like, physical disability. Um, others have said that it was a moral thing, like a pet sin that he kept going back to. We don't know for sure. Um, but if you read through the various letters of Paul, m most of the epistles in uh, the New Testament, there is one trait that you can see pretty clearly about this man, and that is he was proud. He had a, a touch of arrogance about him. And you could see that he was constantly trying to battle towards humility. He knew that he should be humble, and yet he also knew, I was chief among the, the, the people leading this, the persecution of Christians, and now I'm probably one of the most important Christians. I'm writing most of what people will call the New Testament centuries from now. So this pride kind of is welling up within him, this pet sin. Perhaps that is the thorn that he was dealing with, looking down on other people. We don't know. But he's speaking to the individual. He's speaking to you, asking, is there some pet sin that you keep going back to that you know that you shouldn't do, this thing that you shouldn't be keep pursuing, shouldn't keep finding yourself wandering back to, and yet there you are. Maybe you covet. You look at the stuff that other people have, the nice cars, the nice homes, the nice boat, and you say, I want that. Maybe you covet their lives. You see their families. You see their spouse, their partner. You see their kids. You see their job. And you say, why not me? I'll do anything to have that. Maybe you're a gossip. You have no problem whispering have-truths. You don't know the full story, and yet you have no problem speaking to the people around you, spreading lies and rumors, and all of your whispers and your texts and your emails are poison and venom-destroying things. Maybe you steal. 
perhaps literally, or perhaps you're stealing more time from your job, from your family, from whatever. There are more than one way. You don't just have to pickpocket and put something in your pocket. Maybe you steal. Maybe your sins are more in the sexual variety. Perhaps physical. Perhaps you just have a wandering eye or even a wandering heart. <laughs> the next one is murdered. I'm going to hope that most of you don't struggle with that. You're not sitting here convicted saying, boy, I hope they don't find about that murder that I did. If that is the case, come talk to me afterwards. I would just like to know. But there's more than just taking a physical life when it comes to murder. Scripture talks about removing someone's reputation, attacking their identity, destroying who they are. That is the same as murder. Raka. What about uh, issues with authority? I'd be saying within you. That question of, uh, who are you to tell me what to do? Listen, I know all of you live in Texas, and that's kind of part of the culture here. That sense of like, whoa, 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 you can't tell me what to do. You can't be in control of me. That rebellion that is born within our souls, perhaps it is that, that fourth commandment, honor your mother and father, which extends to authority. Maybe you just buck against somebody telling you what to do. Maybe you think you're too busy for God, too busy for prayer, too busy for devotions. You see worship as an obligation. Maybe you use the Lord's name in vain, perhaps a curse word or two, right? We all have to drive on I-10. Or maybe it's that you live your life as a Christian, letting everybody know how you are a Christian, but you use that as a mask to hide condemnation and judgment. You hide behind that crystal clear image to hide your rotten, hateful heart. Or maybe it's just straight up idolatry. This is the sin that most of us struggle with, putting other things before God, putting our preferences, putting our bias, putting what we want before what God wants, what makes us happy, what makes us comfortable when God is calling you into something else. Reality is that first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods, that false idol that we have is looking us right in the mirror every day. One of those sins probably speaks to you. One of those rebellions, one of those, those things, those burdens that you bear, that, that pet sin, that's probably one of you. If it wasn't you, that just means my list wasn't long enough. I assure you, you are not without sin. And perhaps you're sitting here thinking, whoa, 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 I don't like this. This is condemning. This is why I don't like coming to church. Because you Christians, you church people, you're all about just condemnation. You're all about telling us how bad we are. You feel like Paul in Romans where he says, wretched man that I am. Keep going. Because what does he say? He says, who will save me? Who will deliver me out of this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. The answer is Christ. The answer is God entering into our lives, entering into this world. Some 2,000 years ago, God, the Almighty, All-Powerful, became a baby and lived a perfect life, showed us what that looks like. And spoiler alert, it means being loving and compassionate to the people around him, regardless of how the rest of the world saw them. He showed what it means to love God and love people. And yes, he broke the Pharisees' traditions, and yet he was still perfect. He entered into this world, lived a perfect life, and then walked to the cross. 
to pay the price to set us free. And freedom is what we get. Grace and mercy, forgiveness, completely. The issue is, if you have been in church your whole life, or at least you're familiar with church, you think that can't be it. There are other churches out there that say, no, 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 it's not just, it's not just forgiveness. You also have to live a good life. And God says, no, 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 you're adding, you're adding to it. And you don't have to add to it. It is grace alone that saves you. And it's so simple. That's what Jesus was teaching in the gospel reading. He was saying that, that you people who are trying to parse which sin is the worst, which sin should the church stand up against in this world, which sin should be condemned the loudest, those are the ones that aren't getting Jesus. But instead, the faith of a child, who, yes, knows that they did something wrong, but also knows that they're still loved by their parent, that is the faith that we have. And yes, it is that simple. We live our lives thinking that there is more to it and we're just like Robert De Niro's character thinking, no, 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 I can't be forgiven. I have to do this penance. I have to live my life feeling guilt and shame. I have to bear this burden. And Jesus says, no, 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 bring that burden to me. All you who are heavy laden, all you who have been carrying guilt around with you, all you who are tired, tired from your own condemnation, tired because the world tells you, no, no, you don't measure up yet. You're not good enough yet. Keep going. Bring that to him because he will give you rest. See, we have a twisted idea of burdens. We have a twisted idea of what it means to be Christian. It means to be broken and then put back together, to be forgiven. This place is a hospital. This is a place where sick people come to be healed. There was a story I heard of a, a famous preacher who went to a church to speak over the course of a weekend. He had sessions Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and he, he got to the church on Thursday and pulled into the parking lot and saw that they were just wrapping up a funeral. So he kind of hung back, didn't want to get involved, saw that most of the cars had left, but the hearse was still there. But then the pastor of the church saw him and waved him over. And so he went over and, and the pastor was standing there with the widow and her kids. And the pastor says, oh, you've you got to meet, this is, this is our guest speaker, he, he's great. And, and the guest speaker says, I'm really sorry, I, the last thing you need right now is to meet a stranger. I'm, this, this must be incredibly difficult for you. And she says, yeah, yeah, it is. And because of that, I won't be able to make it to the session tomorrow, but I think I'm going to be able to be there Saturday and Sunday. And the speaker says, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Take your time, heal. Don't feel like you have to be here. And she said, I feel like I have to be here. No, I get to be here. This is the church. This is where I come to heal. This is where I come to be relieved of that burden. That's what the church should be. This should be a place where we're allowed to be vulnerable, where we're allowed to be open, we're allowed to share our hurts. Unfortunately, culturally, we've built up these walls, these strongholds, and we say, no, no, to come to church, to be a Christian means to have this facade, to act like everything's great. And that, that's not, that couldn't be further from the truth. I was, uh, I was speaking with my counselor. I go to counseling, you all should too. I was speaking with my counselor, and I was kind of putting some stuff out there and saying, oh, you know, I struggle with this, I struggle with that. And she said, well, have you, have you journaled about it? Have you written it down? I said, no, I haven't. She said, you should write it down. And she told me about a pastor that she knew um, who would do premarital counseling, or excuse me, marital counseling, not pre, during marriage counseling. 
And she said he got so tired of, of these couples coming in and dredging up things from a decade ago and saying, well, she did this, and, and he does this, and, and this is that, and we'll never recover because of this. And, uh, and she said, well, he, what he had them do was he had them write out on pieces of paper all the grievances from the past, all the issues. And she said he, he put them in a box, and he put them in the boiler room at the, at the church there. And he said, those are still there. And if you want to come back to another session and take that box out again and address those things, we can. But I'm going to challenge you to leave them there. Leave them behind. So she tells me this as my counselor, and she says, you, you should do this too. So I did. I got a whole stack of them here. These are legitimate. This is not just random words. These are actual burdens, struggles, sins. There's like 30 or so of them here. You guys got one when you came in. You say, I hope you did. I'm going to challenge you. Write a burden on it. Write something you're struggling with on that red piece of paper. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a struggle in your life. Maybe it's a guilt or a shame that you've been carrying on. If you want to, you know, make it kind of cryptic, that's fine. Write it down, though. There's something cathartic in writing. And then later on in the service, we're going to get the opportunity to come up here to God's altar, to receive a sacrament, a sacred thing, to receive the presence of God. And what I'm going to tell you to do is bring that piece of paper with you. You can fold it up all nice and small so nobody has any chance of seeing it, right? Bring it with you. And after you receive God's presence, after you receive this means of grace that sets you free, leave it here. Toss it towards the altar. Be done with it. Now, that's not going to solve the problem. It's, uh, we're not going to pretend like it just magically is going to go away. But what you are doing there is you are saying, God, I am trusting you with this. I'm no longer going to put it on myself. I'm no longer going to be the only one bearing this burden. God, I give it to you, and I trust that however you work it out is the way that it should go. That's what it takes to recognize our burdens, to recognize the struggles that we have, to be intentional about it, and then leaving it for God, leaving it at the altar, saying, God, I am putting this in your hands. And what that is, it's an act of trust. It's an act of faith. It's recognizing that you have been forgiven and you don't have to bear that burden anymore. Let God give you rest. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, God knows you. God knew what you were going to write on that piece of paper before you wrote it. He knows the utterances of your soul, the things that you are so concerned about as you lay tossing and turning in bed at night. And he is ready to relieve you. He is ready to forgive you. He is ready to let you know just how loved you are are. Let's let God give us rest.